Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. You know, pain is a lonesome place. I don't have to tell you, do I? It'll drop a rock in your stomach right through your pounding heart. And when your knees are so weak, you hit the ground and you finally realize you don't got this. Well, now you might just make it. You see, the tallest tree may not weather the storm, but its roots do. So dig in, stand up, and let the wind blow. Because there's hope. Not terrible. Um, my name is Bryant, lead pastor here. Glad you're with us. If you're joining us online, um, unfiltered radio around the state, uh, just watching us, glad you're tuning in. Uh, we are in part two of this series called Hope in the Dark. And last week, if you're here for the first one, you were like, that was the most depressing uh, church service ever, potentially. So um, this is the just really real. There's not a bow on every one of these messages. And so that's kind of the heads up. Um, but it's just real life. Like one of the things that I, determination I made uh, when we started the church was I was going to answer questions as much as I could that people were actually asking. And so it, it's honestly, just because it's part of my nature, it's easy for me to motivate and I can, you know, I, I can just kind of make stuff up. But when it really gets down to like the hard reality of walking through hard things, like people people need something of substance. And so in this series, what we're talking about is how do you find and how do you maintain hope when you're just in a dark period? Like, and it just, this, this is the reality about life, man. Like, you're either coming out of something that's hard, you're in it right now, or, and this kind of sucks to think about, but you're going to be in it. Like, that's just, that's just life. And so how do you find and maintain hope in those seasons? Now, one of the things that we do a lot of times when things are hard, when they're dark, is that we find hope in waiting for things to change. But here's really the, maybe the tough thing to consider is, and this is really relevant to a lot of us, how do you find hope when you're not sure it's going to change? When there's kind of nothing to wait on anymore? Because there's certain times where you are waiting for the educational or financial dream to come true, and then there's a realization, like, it's just not going to happen. Like, I'm not going to study in this country, at least, around this degree. Like, it, what I thought was going to happen is not going to happen. And in a sense, my source of hope kind of vanishes. Or like, you get to the end of, you've tried all the counseling, and you've worked on the marriage, and you're not sure it's going to get healed. You're 15, and like, things are just off the rails at home, and you really can't leave anytime soon. 
or you're in a place where like you've been hurt and you're trying to figure out how to walk through that hurt, but there's just, there's no easy solution to that. The hurt doesn't go away. Or you're kind of in a place where where you thought you would be at this season of your life, you're just not there. And so like all of the dynamics and the layers of just being in a place where it's just not what you wanted. And in some cases, what you were hoping for, like that dream has already died. Like that dream is not a reality any longer. And you have really no good options. And at the end of the day, um, all of your options are just bad. There's no solution. There's no easy fix. So a lot of times when we get in really dark seasons, our options become, well, just give up and run, which is, we looked at that last series, not a good option. It's like reach for something to self-medicate or self-soothe or make yourself feel better for a season. A, A lot of times when you go through something really difficult, the option that we reach for is comparison which is unbelievably deadly when you're walking through a really difficult time. I mean, here's the thing about when you're walking through a really tough time, and, and you know this, right? Everybody else's um, successes are exaggerated. Like, th- that's how you feel. Like, I'm in this place, and everything's going great for them. God's not answering my prayer, but God's answering their prayer. And then just everybody else's success gets exaggerated, and you start thinking things like, well, that's the family that I should have had or I feel like they got the opportunity that I should have gotten or whatever it is. And then a lot of times we turn our focus on God and we start to maybe get angry at God or get mad at God because at the end of the day, if you believe there's a God, he's the one guy who could have done something about it. He's the one guy who could change our circumstances. And so last week, what we said is this, in dark times, we almost always make assumptions about God. Like what we think God should do, how we think God should respond, and this is maybe the most deadly, what we would do if we were God, I can only imagine what it would look like if I were God for a day. Um, And then a lot of times those assumptions lead us to our own conclusions about God. And those conclusions a lot of times are based on what we see, what we feel, and the dots that we can connect in the moment. And so a lot of times it leads us to conclusions like, because of what I'm experiencing, maybe God's just absent. He's not answered my prayer in a long minute. Maybe God is just apathetic because it seems like I'm walking through this and he doesn't care. And in some cases, maybe God's just angry. Like I mentioned last week, the number one Google search that pings people to our site is the question, why does God hate me? Like maybe God's just angry or maybe God is unable to do anything about it. And then those bad conclusions lead to a bunch of more bad conclusions because you get in the middle of whatever you're walking through and you start to think, I'm never going to experience peace again. That's it. I'm never gonna be happy again. Or we start to draw conclusions like this can't produce anything good. Like I'm walking through this I would never choose it. I can't find hope on the other side of it. And I don't see any way that anything good could come from this. And then the other kind of conclusion where a lot of times we're led to is it's just pointless to keep trying. Like, there, like honestly, there's been seasons in my life like for, for a second, maybe longer than a second, where I'm walking through something and you know, you start to get those ideas sometimes like I've been faithful and I've prayed and God, I've believed and I've done whatever. And like, you've done nothing for me lately. And there are moments, and I think Paul writes about this in the New Testament where we start to think, what is the point to continue to be faithful when it doesn't even seem like God notices? Like there's no quid pro quo. God has done nothing on my behalf recently. And I keep trying to be faithful and I keep trying to endure and I keep trying to make it through this with faith and hope. And it doesn't feel like God even notices. I think that's why Paul warned us, hey, don't grow weary in doing what is good or doing what's right because there's gonna be seasons where it just seems pointless. And it just seems like God has done nothing for you lately. So 
With all that said, the strange that maybe the strange comfort for me is to look at the men and the women in the New Testament and recognize that every single one of those people suffered in, in my book, unimaginable ways. And what's crazy for them, this is a whole nother message. The idea of suffering and then doubting the existence of a good and loving God, which if that's where you're at, I, I, I get it. And I'm not gonna take that from you. You should feel what you feel. But it's interesting that that dynamic has not really been present in any other generation or a part of the world. It is a purely Western idea developed over the last hundred years that if there is a good and loving God, that there can't be suffering in the world. And so that's just something to look at. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel what you should feel, but it's just an interesting thing to consider. But every single one of Jesus' followers suffered in unimaginable ways. And what, what's really interesting is there was no contradiction for them. There was no conflict for them. Like they, they suffered and somehow they were not led to these extremes of, well, it's because God's absent or angry or God is apathetic and he just doesn't care any longer. In fact, Paul, who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, goes so far as to say this, and I'll just tell you on the front end, this is crazy, and I'm gonna read a few of Paul's words, and I think it's his life that gives weight to this. I wouldn't make this up, and I'm not saying this, so you just need to understand that. But Paul goes so far as to say, a guy who was shipwrecked, dude was beaten by, or not beaten by, um, what was he, bitten by a snake at one point. Um, if the snake would have beat him down too, that would have been really interesting. Um, he, the guy was stoned um, with rocks, like he was almost stoned to death. He was, like all kinds of stuff happened. I just feel like I need to throw that out to this crowd. Um, he, was, he was put in prison at one point. Like all kinds of stuff happened to Paul. And he goes so far as to say this ridiculous statement, to be honest with you, is that there is a way, even in the midst of that kind of craziness, that kind of darkness, there is actually a way to find contentment in the middle of those seasons, which is crazy. And Paul was not advocating like fatalism or apathy or like, oh, just whatever, let it happen. That wasn't Paul's personality. What he was saying is, no, no, no I would never choose any of this. I wasn't asking for it. And I'm still praying for God to remove it. In fact, you see that in kind of Paul's journal entries in the New Testament. But simultaneously, he was able to find peace and find hope and find contentment in the midst of unbelievable circumstances. And here's the thing that we don't think about a lot of times, is discontentment is dangerous. Because discontentment is the thing, whether you realize it or not, if you can kind of connect the dots, discontentment is the thing that leads to a lot of the self-destructive decisions that we make. And discontentment is the thing that leads us to places where we consider things that create a lot of regret and we end up in places where we lose a lot of our hope. Because isn't it true, in really difficult, dark times, you will consider things that you wouldn't consider in other times. There are things in the dark that you will reach for, that you will think about, that you will consider, that you will contemplate, that you won't contemplate in the light. And Paul's like, discontentment is actually extraordinarily dangerous. And so Paul, just real quick, his backstory, he steps into history, he hates Christians, he's highly educated, wealthy, he's a part of the religious elite, he's leading the pharisaical system, which was like the religious movement of the day, the temple system, and then, you know, you probably know the story, has this dramatic moment and he becomes a follower of Jesus, which is really important historically. Hates Christians, tries to kill them, becomes one. And then 10 years into Paul's journey, he was Saul, Names changed to Paul, because like God can do that. It's like, we're gonna change your name. And so you're gonna be Paul. And Paul, 10 years in, gets arrested because he becomes a Christian under Rome, if you know anything about that. And he becomes arrested under Nero and put into house arrest, basically in a prison or a dungeon 
in Rome. And come on, a Christian under Nero, not a happy time. Like Nero um, historically would use Christians on stakes, light them on fire to basically decorate his garden. And so Paul is in that, those kinds of circumstances. And like, let's not lose the reality of this. He would never choose this. He does not want this. This is not what he would have planned for his life. Over and over again, God is pleading, or Paul is pleading for God to change something about his circumstances. And he has every reason to give up hope, every reason to be faithless, every reason to walk away, every reason to sit in a dungeon and go, God, where are you at? You've gotta be absent, gotta be apathetic, gotta be angry. With all that I've done for you, how does it play out like this? Paul has every reason to lose hope. And instead he realizes there's nothing else he can do in that prison but begin to write letters. And that the message still has to get out. And little does Paul know, this is fascinating, it may not be fascinating to any of you. Paul begins to write these letters that becomes the most widely circulated and widely read letters in all of ancient literature and in all of literature. And he's sitting in a dungeon, not a prison. This isn't like he's using the free Wi-Fi at the Hilton or there's yard time or continuing education. Dude's in a dungeon. And he starts to write these prison epistles, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, just cranking out letters. And he has no idea. Like, just think about this for a second, because it's so fascinating to me. I love history. He has no idea that as he's writing these letters in prison, when everything says, dude, you should just walk away. What hope do you have? This is, you're under Nero. You're in Rome. This is not going to end well for you. Every reason to walk away he begins to write these letters. And little did he know, he is undermining the Roman Empire as he writes them. Little does he know, he is writing documents that are gonna change people's view about how to relate to God and are gonna turn upside down how Gentile people relate to God for the rest of the generations. He's sitting in these prisons and he is writing and he has no idea that he is shaping and he is changing Western culture and would become maybe the most influential man in history for hundreds of years. He has no idea. I mean, come on, what are the chances? That he would sit in prison with every reason to give up and write letters that would survive Rome and survive Nero and survive the first century. And we'd be talking about them today and literally they would influence and change the world. And in that moment, he had no idea what God was doing in the most horrific circumstances imaginable because he chose to maintain hope. I just wanna say this and I'll come back to it again. You have no idea. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decisions to remain faithful when everything mitigates against it. Amen. You have no idea what God is doing. Paul had no idea. And this is the uncomfortable reality, but in the dark times, not only is God not absent and apathetic and angry or unable, as we said so often, it is generally the epicenter of God's greatest activity, God's greatest work. And so Paul is sitting in a prison, in a dungeon, and he writes one of these letters, which was a letter to Philippi, this, this little place, and he knows what they're going through, and he writes about kind of his circumstances, and he writes about what he's been able to discover and find in the midst of this really, really dark time. And basically, he's sitting in a prison, He's waiting for like some help to come. So he's there and generally the churches that Paul had already started, they would like send him things, like a, a little, like, I, I mean, if you were in prison now, like they would do and 
Sports Illustrated and like food and whatever. I don't know what Paul needed, but like Paul's waiting for money or he's waiting for supplies, whatever. And they don't come and he's sitting in that prison and finally he writes to Philippi because he gets some help back. And here's what's really interesting. He writes to Philippi, and if you were to read the whole letter, which we're not gonna do today, the whole letter is about freedom. The entire letter. It's in different contexts, but the whole letter is about freedom. And Paul is writing it while he is in chains. And what's interesting is you read it, I think he was more free than a lot of us are. And here's what he writes to the Philippi church. He said, first off, chapter four, verse 10, I rejoice greatly. All right, stupid. Like, that's just dumb. That's, not Paul, you're not, because I'll, I'll see you one day. Like, not, but that, that's just ridiculous. You're, you're in a prison. And here's what Paul's saying. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a prison, but I just want you to know. This is not me going, well, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is exactly where I want to end up in life. 10 years into this career trajectory, this is where I had it. But Paul's going, I get the option to define my thinking. And I'm just telling you, I have every reason to look at all the extenuating circumstances and give up. I've not done that because even in this, there is reason to maintain hope. And I get the final edit on what my thoughts are going to produce. And so he says, actually, there are things to rejoice in even here, which is crazy. So I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me, talking about this church in Philippi. Basically, Paul's been waiting and none of their help came. So he's like, any day now would be amazing. And Paul is in prison and he has every reason to question, do they care? Does God care? Is help coming? And Paul's basically says, listen, I had two options. I could either resent or I could be content. And I found, as he's gonna say in a minute, as crazy as it may seem to you, I found the secret to finding contentment even here, even under these circumstances. And then he says, indeed, you guys have been concerned, but you had no opportunity. Like I believe, I was trying to believe the best about you. I believe that you wanted to, you couldn't. It didn't show up. Finally, it showed up. I'm super grateful. And then he uses this letter to the Philippians as a launching point for this discussion. He says this, I'm not saying all this because I'm in need. And I just, just to stop for a second. And Paul, I don't think is, he's not looking at his circumstances and trying to create a reality that isn't there. He's just saying like, no, I, I know where I'm at. I understand what I'm involved in. I just want you to know, like even though help hasn't come or help was delayed, it took you guys a long time. I'm good. No, 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 I, I know where I'm at. Like you ever meet those people that are walking through circumstances and sometimes it's just artificial or it's kind of fake faux faith and it's like, just stop and be real for a second. But then other times you meet people and they're walking through devastating circumstances and you're close enough to go, no, they, they really believe this. Like there's really an extraordinary faith in the midst of this and you almost wanna pull them aside to go, are you sure you understand what's happening? Are you sure you're clued into reality? Paul's like, no, no, I'm clued into reality. I'm just telling you. I've learned something about my life in a bunch of different circumstances. And by this time, Paul's pretty much experienced all of it. And I'm just telling you, even here, even if your help never came, I'm good. And then he says, for I have learned, this is why, for I have learned, meaning, this is so important. This is not natural. This is not intuitive. You will not stumble your way into this. If you follow the current of culture, you will walk through dark times and you will reach for the things that everybody reaches for in those circumstances. Paul's like, this is learned, it's not intuitive, but I have learned to be content, meaning internally self-sufficient. I'm not running, I'm not gonna reach for bad options. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances are. 
And Paul's like, so just before you count me out, I've been through some stuff. Just remember where I'm writing this from. Remember where I live. Remember what I've walked through. Remember how many times I've already been betrayed. And I've got some stuff in my past as well, but I've walked through a bunch of stuff. And I'm telling you, there is a way to find peace and there is a way to maintain hope even in the midst of the most difficult seasons. And honestly, I don't know if you feel this way. Like I read Paul's writing, like it does something to me every time I read his letter. Because like, even if I, I doubt it for a moment, there's something in it that goes, I want that. Like, I want to be that guy. I want to find a way where I'm walking through something that I would never choose, that everybody's going, are you, are you serious? How have you maintained faith? I want to be able to walk through that. And it, when everything is flying out of control on the inside, is somehow to be at peace and to be in control on the inside. And Paul's like, I've learned the secret to do that. That when things were at its worst, I didn't give in to the pressure. I didn't self-destruct I didn't create more regret for the future. I didn't give in to bad options. Like I was able somehow to maintain faith and maintain hope. And again, Paul is, is not in a place where he's fatalistic or he's apathetic. That's not, Paul is highly driven. He's probably a three on the Enneagram. He built stuff. He created things. He, I mean, he was always the best at whatever he did. This is not an unambitious individual. And he's like, I found the secret in the midst of that to not reach for things that I know are gonna complicate my future because when you are in dark seasons, you are most vulnerable to having reality distorted and reaching for things and contemplating things that ultimately just make your circumstances worse for the future. Amen. And then Paul says this, not only have I learned to be content in whatever the circumstances, he's like, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need I know what it is to walk through dark times and I know what it is to have plenty. And so just real quick before I go to the rest of the verse, Paul's like, listen, but again, before you discount me, wealthy, educated, this, I, Paul's like, I lost everything, man. I lost everything. And I think it's really like important that you don't just skip by where it's like, I, I know what it is to be in plenty. I know what it is to be in want. Like there's some emotion behind that. And here's the thing, man. You don't need to downplay the disappointment of where you're at. You can be disappointed and content simultaneously. Paul, in prison. He's not okay with being in prison. And yet he's writing this letter about being content. And listen, what Paul determined is this. I am not going to allow my, my place or my disappointment to define my identity, which is the difference when you're walking through difficult stuff of whether you are able to maintain hope in Christ or whether you lose hope altogether. What Paul's saying is, I'm walking through this, I'm aware of the circumstances, but I am not allowing my disappointment to define my destiny. And that's unbelievable. Just listen to me for a second, I'll move on. Because if you stay in that place long enough where your disappointment, what you didn't want, what they did, what happened to you, where you thought God was gonna lead you, all of it's legit, you should be disappointed. You have reason at certain seasons to be angry. God can handle it all. But if you stay there long enough being defined by your disappointment, it will change the trajectory of your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And Paul's like, listen, I learned not to be defined by my disappointment and not let my disappointment define the trajectory and the destiny of my life. Like one more thing. Sometimes 
you can get stuck in seasons that God is trying to bring you out of, but you won't leave. And you have so identified for so long with the disappointment and what didn't happen, what God didn't do, that God's freeing you up for another purpose for your future, but you will not leave the prison that you have created for yourself. And Paul's like, I learned how to be free of what was happening to me. It didn't define my future, didn't define my destiny. And isn't it true a lot of times we walk through seasons where it's both at the same time? I've almost never walked through a season where whatever you want to identify it, victory or God doing something incredible, huge win. I don't know if I've ever walked through a seasons like that where simultaneously there wasn't some dark area. Like whatever it is, like you got money, you got no time. You've got peace, you have no health. You've got career trajectory, it's finally where you want it. Relationship is not what you wanted it to be. And Paul's like, I found a way in want or in plenty to be able to be free of my circumstances. And then he says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation. Whether I'm well-fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or whether I'm in want. Here's what's really interesting. You have to learn contentment in both seasons. Because sometimes, this is a weird thing, sometimes it's almost easier in certain circumstances to find contentment in dark times because of the reason that you always have something to hope for, always something that you're praying for that might change. And then if that thing changes, you're gonna change, you're gonna be all right, you're gonna have hope. There's other seasons, actually seasons of plenty, where sometimes can be more devastating because you can actually get what you're praying for only to realize that what you were praying for overpromised and underdelivered. And what you had been hoping for all along in the drought seasons wasn't at all what you thought it was. And it's why Paul says, you have got to find a way to learn to be content, detached from your circumstances. And Paul's like, I know it's crazy, but I'm in this place where I've had it all. I've had influence, I've had education, I've had money. Now I have nothing. I'm writing letters in a prison. I'm good. I've found a way to be content, detached from the circumstances and in the midst of the darkness. I didn't sell out and I didn't run away. And in this verse real quick, he uses this really interesting word because he reaches outside of biblical literature and just reaches into secular literature, which Paul would do often. And he uses a word, this, this, word, this idea of the secret of being content. He uses a word that was found in, in secular literature that's found nowhere else in the New Testament. And then in the Greek, it literally has this idea. It was used in the context of like cultic mysticism. And it had the idea, the, the literal Greek translation has the idea of being initiated into a religious cult. Some of you are like, I knew it. So like you're two weeks back, you're like, I knew it was coming. Like it has the idea of being initiated into a, like a religious cult. And so what Paul is trying to convey is what I have discovered, the secret that I have found, it is rare. Few people experience it. Few people ever discover it. But in the Greek, it literally has this idea of I have been initiated into the cult of contentment. I have found what few people find in the midst of extreme circumstances. And just one more time, can we, just, can we go over this guy's history? Like, I wanna be this guy. 
stoned to death, almost, bitten by a snake, as I already said, shipwrecked, betrayed, beaten with his, uh, in an inch of his life over and over again, exiled to a prison or to a dungeon, trying to live this thing out under Nero in Rome. Like, think about, if you know any of the New Testament, think about how untouchable this guy seemed. Like, enemies would come to hey, we're gonna kill you. Paul's like, fine, better for me to be with the Lord. No, 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 we're gonna leave you here. We're gonna stick you in a dungeon. Fine, I got work to do while I'm here. I'm gonna write letters that are gonna change Western civilization. Like, what do you do to this guy? You're gonna kill him? He's like, fine, I'll go be with Jesus. Not gonna kill him. I'm gonna change the world in literal, little, little Nero. Little do you know that I'm undermining your empire in a region or in a place of the world where at that time in history, it looked like Nero in Rome wins as the world power, the fledgling Jesus movement loses. And Paul's like, just wait. And little did he know what God was doing in that season when he decided to remain faithful. I said this already. I think he's the most influential individual in all of Western culture, specifically until 1450 at least, the invention of the printing press. And then the printing press is invented. And what's the first thing? You can't mass produce in 1450, but the first thing that they, they produced at any scale? The writings of Paul. The writings of him in a dungeon under Nero. <clears throat> In Rome, with every reason to give up, every reason to be faithless, every reason to let go of hope, and every reason in the world to draw a lot of bad conclusions about God. And do you know what made Paul influential? What he wrote and what he endured in the darkest moments of his life. And he had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to hang on to hope and to remain faithful. Do you know what hung in the balance, by the way? You, the church, this movement to the world that literally Paul led and Paul spearheaded and he planted churches all over the Mediterranean rim and he wrote these letters and he launched this new covenant movement to the world. And Paul had no idea in this moment what hung in the balance of his decision to remain faithful. And I just wanna say it to you one more time. This is the point. You have no idea. You have no idea in that relationship, the financial thing, the diagnosis, the hurt and betrayal, the derailed career plans, the infertility, that your heart was ripped out by the disappointment. I, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful, to hang on to hope when everything mitigates against it. And so Paul says like, that's where I'm at. And this is what I found. This is the secret I found. And I'm gonna give you this next verse. And I almost like, I, like pushed back on like communicating this passage because it's so ripped out of context. Like I, I, I kind of thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach this and nobody's gonna get it because they have seen this thing slapped on coffee mugs and football banners for so long that we've completely missed the meaning. Because you've probably heard this verse. Paul says, this is the secret this is the mystery of me finding what I found in the midst of really dark times. And he says this, I can do everything. Let's pause. I can endure, I can keep going, and I can hope 
This is Paul. Through anything. I can do everything through him, Jesus, who gives me implied Jesus strength. I can do everything. I can endure. I can keep going. I can keep pressing on. I can persevere. I can hope. I can do everything through him, through Jesus, who gives me his strength. Now, real quick, I just want to define what this verse is not. Because, and again, well-meaning people, I get it. I'm not making fun of them. But like, this is not to throw on a football banner for a team to run through before the game starts at Christian school homecoming. This is not really, this is not a t-shirt verse. This is not for your coffee cup cup or the quilt that hangs behind your couch. Like, because it loses all of its grittiness in all of its context. This was not about you running a 5K. (laughs) It wasn't. This is what Paul's saying. This is not about winning. This is a verse for surviving. Just so you know what I'm writing about right now. This is about, I'm not sure it's gonna change. I don't know what to do. We've all been there. Let's just, let's not pretend. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's gonna work out the way I want. This is not what I would have chosen. There's been moments I've been tempted to, to think things or draw conclusions about God that probably aren't true, but it's hard not to. This is not where I wanted to be in life. I have nothing but bad options right now in front of me and it is hard to maintain hope. That's who this verse is for. I can do everything, I can maintain, I can endure, I can press through, I can find hope through him who gives me his strength. Real, real quick, I'm gonna teach a massive theological idea that I need a whole series for. So this, is, this is like a minute of that. But all throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about this incredible mystery. You're gonna read it for yourself, this incredible mystery. And it was the mystery of the, the church that would come to fruition, the body of Christ, where we would no longer need bulls and goats and priests and go-betweens, but now we would have direct access to God and in this movement where now we are a royal priesthood, a chosen people for the world, and that we had intimacy with the God of the universe. And, and there's a mystery in that. But the other mystery that Paul talks about, and there, all of these are tied together, is that the moment that you place your faith and trust in Christ... The moment you say, I believe that Jesus lived the life that I couldn't, which was perfect, and he died the death that I should have died for my sin, past, present, and future, and then we believe historically, walked out of a grave alive, that when you place your faith and trust from what you can do or earn to what God has done for you, Paul talks all throughout the New Testament about this mystery of Christ in you, that the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus takes your sin, your dysfunction, what you've done, and then literally he gives you the life of Jesus. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, it talks about the fact that the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're indwelt with the spirit of God. You're indwelt with God's spirit, who God is, God's power. And in fact, in another place, it says this, that all of the power that raised Christ from the dead, let's just wrap your mind around that for a second, is in you if you place your faith and trust in Christ. So let me just preach this for a second. That the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, and I get that this is ethereal and it's a little bit, this is weird, whatever, but just go with me for a second. In that 
that moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, he takes your sin and your dysfunction and literally clothes you or hands you the life of Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And it's why in any dysfunction and any sin and you at your worst, when you are out of control and off the rails and you believed Christ, but you've run for him from a decade, it's why your heavenly father can look at you and not bring down retribution or condemnation, which was already taken care of at the cross because your heavenly father sees you, but he doesn't see your sin, your dysfunction or your past. He literally sees the life of Christ. So when he looks at your life, he's seeing you as you one day will be, as if you've earned, you've achieved, you've accomplished, you've done it right, you've been ethical, you've been truthful, you're my child, you have done what I've asked you to do, you've run the race well, and you're like, I haven't done any of those things, I've been a train wreck. And your heavenly father goes, I know that, but Jesus did it for you, and this isn't about your perfection or performance, it's about Jesus. So when your heavenly father sees you, wrap your mind around this, he sees the life of Christ and Christ's life on your behalf so that one day when you stand before your heavenly father and you actually are perfect and whole and complete, Jesus is is clothing you in this moment and your father is seeing you in this moment as you one day will be. And so he says to you in any hardship, in any darkness, in any difficult time, you literally have the life of Christ in you and over you so that your father sees you as you will be. And besides that, you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you. And can we just come around this idea? There is no power like Jesus' power. I was gonna preach that slower, but I get so excited about that idea that I can't stop. There's no power like Jesus. Like nobody else is raising the dead with a word. Nobody else is just talking to nature and nature's like, got it, I'm obeying. Nobody else is touching blind people and they see. Nobody else is raising the lame to walk. And nobody else is predicting their death and then walking up out of a grave. Nobody has power like Jesus' power. And what Paul is trying to convey in this moment, and in my inadequate way of trying to, to debrief that huge theological idea is that there is a mystery when you place your faith and trust in Christ that Christ's life is in you and over you. And it's why discontentment is so dangerous because discontentment drives you into things that you would never consider otherwise and you lose hope. But Paul's like, if you can come around this idea, this reality, God will do something in you in the midst of your darkest moments to move you to the other side and to produce peace and contentment and wholeness when it doesn't make sense. And here's how I would summarize Paul's word. This is in essence what he's saying. Like you need in the midst of your circumstances just to declare this reality. I can't. Like Paul basically is saying, I have reached the end of myself. Again, this verse taken out of context is like, well, I can just muster up the energy to do anything that I need to do, anything I've been called to do. No, you can't. You don't have the power in you. You don't have the ability in you. You don't have the resources and endurance in you. And so Paul's like, I can't, I can't do this. He can. Christ didn't opt out of the tension. 
Christ went to the cross to die for me so that when I trust in him, he gives me his life, his power, his endurance. He walked out of a grave alive. And the moment I trust Christ, his spirit is in me and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in me. And so Paul's like, I can't. He can because he's a resurrected savior and he's given me his power and he can through me. It's his life, it's his power, it's his endurance working through me in the most difficult of circumstances in the darkest of times. I can't. This is is what I want to be kind of our, our mantra as you leave here, at least for the next week. I can't, he can, he can through me. Like whatever your circumstances, you're single and you are tired of being single. And unsingle was less complicated, but you're just in a place where you don't wanna be here and there's a lot of bad options in front of you and you're just at this place in your life where you're considering things you wouldn't have considered before and you would just go, I just don't know if I can make it through this season. No, no, you can't. He can and he can through you. It is the mystery of Christ and Christ's power inside of you. You're pregnant, and this pregnancy is not what you had planned for this season of your life. And in your words, it feels like the end of your dreams, the end of your plans, the end of what you wanted. There is so much tied around. It is just not what you were expecting in this moment. And there is a real reality where you look at your future and go, I can't do this. No, 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 you can't. Just admit that. I can't, I cannot do this. I cannot endure this. I cannot make it through this. He can. He can through you. You miss him or her like crazy and you're tempted to go back and it's dysfunctional and to use like really religious terms that can maybe can seem weird, but there's something to them. It doesn't feel like God's will for your life, God's plan for your life. You're like, I just, I don't know if I can hang on. I don't know if I can keep myself from going back. You can't. He can He can through you. Or you're in a relational dynamic right now that is just awful. And you're walking or driving home every day and there's a pit in your stomach because tensions are so high and it feels like there's about three versions of them and you don't know which version you're gonna get. And when the garage door is going up, there is so much anxiety in you and you've tried counseling and you're trying to hold on and somebody told you to pray and you've prayed and you're kind of wondering where God's at. And as you drive into that driveway with all that anxiety and wanting to remain faithful and believing that this is what God has for you in this season of your life, you're going, God, I know I feel like you want me to stay, but I just don't know if I can do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. You can't, he can, and he can through you. You're you're dealing with a diagnosis and they can treat it, but they can't cure it. And you're not sure how you're gonna make it through this next season of your life and you're tempted to give up. And God says to you, you can't do this in your own strength. You can't endure this. You can't persevere. I need you to admit that. A declaration of weakness is actually an acquisition of strength in God's economy. You can't. He can. He can through you. Your career's at a dead end. Financially, it's difficult. It's been difficult for a couple years. And you're most tempted in kind of what you feel like is a dark place to reach for some things that are unethical or just unwise. And you would have never considered them three years ago. 
You're like, I just don't know if I have any other options and I don't know what else to do. And I just, I, I just can't keep going with this. And Jesus says, no, you can't. But I can, and I can through you. And if you're like, well, I don't quite understand that. I don't either. I'm just telling you it's a mystery that Paul talks about all throughout the New Testament and I've experienced it in my life. And that when you become aware of this mystery, it creates an awareness to the reality where God begins to do something. And so I just wanna give you this, this is kind of like just take away and then I'm gonna be done in just a second. That for like a week, you would just pray this. You would get up every morning and go, God, I can't, you can Whatever that thing is, whatever is the, the epicenter of your discontentment, the dark time you're walking through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In this dark season, God, I need your power. I need your endurance. I can't. You can. And then every night, God, teach me the mystery of Christ in me. I don't know how else to explain this. I've struggled for quite a few years. Like how, how do I explain this mystery in the New Testament in a way that people get it and understand it? Because I've experienced it. I don't always know how to put words to it. I'm just telling you it's a reality when your mind awakens to it. You're not creating reality. It is a reality. God, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, it's already in you. It's already available. God already has it there. But it's why Paul says in the New Testament, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand and in the right time, he will lift you up and he will lift you out, whatever that looks like, which means humility and recognizing that you can't do this and you need some other power outside of you is the starting point and the prerequisite for God beginning to do something in your life. And as you wrap your mind around this, I'm telling you, God will begin to reveal it to you. You will begin to walk through seasons and get to the other side to go, I have no idea how I did that because you didn't do it. You can't. You didn't. He did. And so every Maybe every night for, for a few weeks, just this prayer, God, this is my summary. Teach me the secret of contentment. Not contentment like, oh, I'm glad this has happened, but I'm in this. And God, I wanna remain faithful in it and I wanna find hope. And whatever this looks like to get to the other side, I wanna get to the other side without selling out. Teach me the secret of contentment, Christ in me, empowering me. All, I just wanna say it one more time all of the power that raised Christ from the dead, if you're in Christ, is in you. You have no ability to make it through what you're walking through right now. And part of the problem is, that's what you've been leaning into. But through him, through his strength, through his power, God can do something in you and through you in the midst of this. Because I've seen it happen where the darkest circumstances can't shake you, can't separate you from faith, cannot detach you from hope. And so as we close, we're gonna end in this song called In the Waiting, which is a song that our team actually wrote, which I think is really powerful when you write songs as a church because they become really personal to you and personal to your gathering. And it just talks about walking through these seasons where maybe you can't change it. And maybe it's gonna change, but this may be one of those things where it's not gonna be what you wanted. And, and how do you rest in Christ in the middle of that? And I want you to think about this as we close with this song. What is the source of your greatest discontentment right now? Like, what is it? The epicenter of your greatest discontentment, suffering, really difficult time, like, what is it? And I, I just wanna say this to you, and I know it's not emotionally satisfying, but it's just true. That place of your greatest discontentment 
is the opportunity for God to do his greatest work in your life. And I know you wouldn't choose it and I know you, you don't want it. I don't want it either. But it's the greatest opportunity for God to do his greatest work in your life. And on the authority of your heavenly father, who's made himself known through the scriptures, you can't. He will. And he will through you. And you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful and to hang on to hope when everything says that you should let go. Would you guys stand with me and would you just pray with me in this moment and then where you're standing, I just wanna give you an opportunity to take in these words just for the next two minutes and then we're gonna be out of here and just think over what that area of disappointment is and just even now beginning to pray that prayer. God, I can't, you can, and I'm really asking if you will through me. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you that your word is living and it is powerful and it does its thing every time it's opened in clarity and Jesus is brought to the forefront. And so I'm not asking you to move. I already know you're doing that. Just pray that you would give us the ability to listen, to respond. God, to receive in a way that is practical and real and tangible, this whole mystery and reality in a way that we've never received it in our life. And that maybe in the midst of some of the darkest periods we've ever walked through, we would find something in you. We would find hope in you that is unmatched. And so God, do your thing in this room among thousands listening via radio, those who are watching. And I'm praying all of this in the powerful, resurrecting name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.